please come up here? And Shirley. James Winner, Richard Eileen, and Shirley have finished the Fundamentals of the Faith this last Thursday, and so they are receiving their... That's James. That's James. This is Winter. They are receiving their certificates of, a co of completion. Okay. Yeah, look at here. It says here, Fundamentals of the Faith. This is to certify that these people have completed the doctrinal study of Fundamentals of the Faith. Uh, on June 8, 2023. And the verse that we selected was, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So we started this Bible study in uh, January, the first weekend of January, right? Yeah. And so we went all the way to June, so that's six months that we, uh, we guys studied. All right, here you go, Richard. Can you guys turn all your certificates forward so she can take your picture? Yeah, turn oh, this way. And a little bit closer, and I'll stand right up here. <clears throat> Aww. Very good. God bless you. Congratulations, guys. All right. And, uh, and as a treat, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but as a treat, we do have a fellowship dinner. On our this next Thursday, this is going to be our actual last completion. I was going to I was going to pass out the certificates then, but I wanted you to see be a part of it as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you guys for putting up with six months of torture. <laughs> now I don't, I don't know if I don't know if it was mentioned, but uh, fundamentals of the faith will start up again uh, here in just a, okay and. Uh, we also have another class, the second part, which is Doctrines of uh, Grace, which is not as long, but um, it is, is just as important. So be stay tuned for those announcements. Okay, we, uh, we've had a late start. We had a couple of technical difficulties. Does, uh, does forgetting your material at home count as a technical difficulty? Okay, well, it did for me. Okay, huh? And anyways, um, let me have you open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And let's, uh, let's move on through here. Overcoming hindrances. Now, as, you, as I mentioned earlier, this is, uh, as we started this, this portion of the studies in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians is, uh, is a letter which was written by Paul to the church in Thessalonica. Uh, Thessalonica became, I believe, a model church. Paul was very proud at what this church had become in the short amount of time that he was able to invest into this church. This is something that every pastor is just blessed with to understand and to study and to know God's Word. I have been able, going back to the fundamentals of the faith, I have been able to witness the growth of these those that uh, took part in this. And maybe you don't see it as much as I do, but I have noticed it. I've recognized it, and I want you to know that I'm very excited as to what God is doing in your life and what He's going to continue to do in the church of uh, North Park Baptist Church. And uh, so we, we continue to study, but it's more than just knowing and studying, but it's also application. And in the process of studying, Paul had been wanting to uh, share as much as he could in the short amount of time that he had. And, and when he did, he left there in a hurry because he was being chased out of town. He didn't know how, um, how things were going to turn out. We'll find out later that Paul sent Timothy 
to Thessalonica and Timothy gave him a report, a very good report. And so Paul was excited. He says, you know, we always give thanks for you, mention you in our prayers. Uh, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you. And uh, you became imitators of us, Paul says, in just a short amount of time when you received the word in much affliction, even though you're going through a lot of struggles. For not only the word of God, uh, the word of the Lord sounded from you, uh, from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Paul is basically saying, you know, that short amount of time and all this affliction that you put up with and all these things that took place, I'm just, I'm just praying and I'm excited because of what God has done, but the, that the word that you have received, it sounded forth. And that word is, if you remember when we talked about this, it's the, the word sounded, it's like the, the sound of a trumpet, making it loud, a big blast. They weren't just going around talking very secretively, passing out notes or tracks. They were speaking the word boldly. And Paul says, you know, uh, not only did uh, the people in Macedonia and Achaia find out about this, but not only what you learned, but also about your faith in God. And it's gone everywhere. So in chapter 2, Paul is so, so in love with this group of people. He's just not because of what they've done for him, because actually they couldn't do much to him or for him because he wasn't there long. But he was just so proud. He was like, a, and we talked about this last week, he was like a, a, a mother. He was like a father. He was, he was so intimately involved in their life as if he himself bore them and gave birth to them. And when you, when you disciple a young Christian and you give them uh, the Word of God and the eternal life just starts to grow within them and the knowledge of the Word of God, it's, it's a very proud moment for any leader, any pastor, any person that is leading a person to Christ. Beloved, if you have not yet had the opportunity to lead a person to faith in Jesus Christ, then I, I, I'm going to continue to ask you and to dig into that, to how to do this. And we've studied it in part of the fundamentals of the faith and I've written some notes on your your turn-in sheets to memorize this portion of scripture understand it and share it with other people share the good news in light of the bad news know that everyone is a sinner and know that everyone needs saving we need saving from what from the wrath of God we need to be saved from God himself because he will return and he will he will pour out his wrath on all mankind that is not his and those that have not believed. And so what Paul is here, he's saying, he says, you know, I'm really excited about what's happened in you and, and how you've grown and how you develop. I'm like a proud mama that just bore these, uh, these children. I'm like a proud papa. You know, I'm, I'm encouraging you and helping you in your leadership and helping you to do better. And so then in verse 17, where we're at, and I just kind of give you a brief synopsis of what we've been, been through so far. But in verse 17 through 20, this this is very important to understand, at least uh, in Paul's sense and what he's gone through and also in what we need to go through as well in this world. But in verse 17, and I'm going to read the rest of the chapter and it goes like this. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at this coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory 
and our joy. Father in heaven, thank you once again for Paul's reaction to all that's gone on at this point in time. How proud he was, how he was so so hopeful and, and just the joy that he felt because of the uh, the life that the lives have been changed and transformed and, and now focused upon our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we continue to grow in such manner that we grow in such a way that each person here can bring somebody and lead them to your feet and disciple them and to grow them and to help them and to understand the joy and and just the hopefulness and all that that has taken place, Lord, up to this point, that everyone can, can go through that same experience as Paul did as we disciple those around us. So, Father, thank you once again for this portion of Scripture, I pray, in Jesus' name. And everyone says... Amen. Verse 19, it says this again, for what, for what is our hope or joy? Crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming. Paul basically is saying, what do I have to boast for? Jesus himself said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his soul? It doesn't matter on how much you accumulate through life, on how much you grow as far as wealth and prosperity. It matters not how much you ask for and how much you have. What matters is the crown that will be placed on your head for those that you've been able to lead to Christ and to help them grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ. Because that's all you're going to have to show for. None of these titles, none of these certificates, none of these degrees, none of these uh, uh, positions that you've held, all of those are gone to the wayside. The only thing that matters, as Paul says here once again, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting? We boast on all the things that we have. Well, I've done this and I've gone here and I've accomplished this and and I, I am the manager or CEO or I own businesses and things that I have and we boast about those things To be honest with you, they're worthless. They only last this life. And our life is just a mere drop in the bucket. James says our life is like a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. Our life, if we we live 100, 120 years, is just a drop in the bucket in the scope of eternity. And we live our lives and we invest our lives and we pour everything that we have of our lives into pursuing these things in life, yet without even realizing, or maybe we do, but we don't care that those things don't even matter. As a matter of fact, the Bible doesn't, uh, doesn't celebrate. The Bible says that the angels in heaven celebrate when one person is brought to salvation. When one lost sheep is brought in, when one lost coin is found, when one lost son is delivered and raised from the dead. The multitudes of people within the congregation and in the pews it has no effect. Well, I shouldn't say it doesn't have any effect, but there is no celebrating in heaven because of that. There is no rejoicing in heaven because of all the people that are here. What, it, what the angels rejoice over is the one and the one. And the one. Now, when you get a congregation full of that one that was lost, that coin that was lost, that, that sheep that was lost, when you, when you find and you, and you bring them in, there is rejoicing in heaven. And there's genuine rejoicing. Not because of the size of the building, not because of the size of the budget, but be, those things are all going to be taken away. So, Paul himself, he asks, What is our boasting? Is it not you? For you, are our glory 
and joy. I mean, it is just it is just amazing on how the short amount of time that Paul had with these people and how much joy it, it brought Paul, not because he knew them, not because of what they did, but because of how they responded to the gospel message. That is the whole is the whole scheme of the whole key of life. That is our purpose. That is our goal. Jesus says, go and make disciples. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is a follower. A disciple is one, a student. Go and make disciples. That is our goal. That is our call. That is our mission. That is the great commission. The great commission by Jesus Christ. He says, go and make these disciples. And we make these disciples by sharing with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we teach them. The process is this. You make a disciple. A disciple is a learner, a follower. And people want to know more. So you bring them in. And then you baptize them. And after you get them baptized, then you teach them. And the whole process is making a disciple, a learner. Many people say, well, I still, don't know, I still don't know enough to get baptized. Well, you'll never know enough to get baptized. You just have to take it by faith. That's what Jesus Christ said for you to do. The first step of obedience, do that. First and foremost, before you do anything else, baptize them. They have to be baptized. Not basically you baptizing them, bringing them in, help them get baptized, help them to get to that point where they follow in obedience to Jesus Christ. The first commandment Jesus said to do as a disciple. And then you teach them. And then they learn. Many people can't learn. People can't comprehend. They can't absorb it. They can't bring it in because they haven't even followed the first commandment of Jesus Christ. And it's difficult to observe and it's difficult to, to, you know, because God is waiting. I'm still waiting for you to do the first thing I ask you to do. And so a lot of people have a hard time in reading scripture and understanding what the word says because of the first command that Jesus Christ gave them. For you, Paul says once again in verse 20, are our glory and joy. You, you. I, I think back in, in the time that I've been in ministry, the many people that I've seen come and go through here, the people that have moved on and, and that have grown and that have developed and, and many of them that are serving in different churches and in different places, I think about you. And I think about, Lord, I just pray that, that I was as, uh, as, as, as thorough and, and able to reach and to teach and to help the believers grow and challenge them. And challenge them. Just this last weekend, uh, I, I met with some people from uh, up north when I was out of town, and, and I went up there and I stayed at their house. And uh, the person that I was talking to, they said to me, "says You know, I want you to know the word that you gave me the last time you were here." Now must have been about almost six months ago, probably even longer, about six months ago. Yeah, I said the word that you gave me back in December. It hurt, and I was mad. And I was angry. I, how, how dare him say that to me? How, you know, and, and, and they, were, they were just incredulous. I didn't know this. But as they dealt with it, as they worked with it, as they, they this last week, they, you know, I want to thank you. Though I, though I didn't receive it well, it was true. It was true. And sometimes, beloved, this is genuine love, is, is you, you share that with somebody and, and you help them to see. And, and though they may not see it, as they work through it, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God helps an individual change. 
And so those are the things that you, as a believer, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, ought to be working for. Finding a person that you can, you can hook up with. And it, does, it matters not how much, uh, how much they have or what they don't have. What matters is how much you love them. Paul loved these people. He loved them like a mother. He called himself a mom. Remember that? He, said, he says to them, and I thank God. Uh, let's see here. Let's go back over here to, um, for you remember, verse, verse 9. For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. We work day and night that we might, be, uh, we, we might not be burdened. Oh, you know what? I, I'm sorry. I need to go back just a little bit further. Uh, for we, verse five, let's start with verse 5. I'm, I'm having to break this up. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with the pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Are there people that are very dear to you? Are there people that that you know within your own family, with your friends, people that are very dear to you? Can you honestly say that you are very desirous of them in a sense where you want the best for them? One of the things that I heard as with the announcers being proclaimed is, is, you know, we all have, we all know people. We all know people with children. And our family day is a day for not only the children, but also the families, the fathers, the mothers, to help them to grow and to develop. What does the Word of God say about raising your children? Well, first of all, the Bible says, fathers, uh, love your children as unto the Lord. He says, and, and do not exasperate them. How do you exasperate a child? What does that even mean? How do you exasperate a child? We're going to go over that. And children, you need to obey your parents. Now, a lot of parents' ears are going to go, what? You're going to teach a child how to obey? Well, I'm going to teach, we're going to teach children some things that they need to do as obeying their parents. Because this is right. This is the only commandment, the Bible says, with the promise that you will live long in the land that you will inherit. And so as we, as, as we are looking and living and, and just gathering with friends and family, who do you genuinely love? Who is it that, that you know that has to, you know, bring them. Bring them, say, look, we're going to have a time of fellowship. We're going to have a time of, well, don't call it fellowship. We're going to have a good time to come together. We're going to have some food, some activities. And, and you know, you're going to learn some very important principles for life, for your family. You don't have to try to deceive or make it more than what it is because you love them. See, Paul didn't know these people like the way you know some of your people. Paul just met these people, but what drew him to them was the love of Jesus Christ. Number one, so the first thing that we need to do is grow in love for one another. We need to grow in love for one another. Overcoming hindrances. See, look at this. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again. This is interesting how Paul says this. I, 
Paul. Because he's talking here, you'll read his letter, we were there. Me, Timothy, Sylvanus were there. Me, Tim Timothy, Sylvanus greet you. We all uh, say hello and, and all of us are torn apart. We were, we, and then here Paul gets very intimate, very personal. He says, I, me. Not that, not that the other ones didn't, but Paul says, yeah, I, I just want you to know that this is not just a collective uh, thinking and, and appreciation and desire to see you, but I want you to know that I, myself, me, want to see your face. I want to see your face. I want to be face to face, heart to heart with you. I'd love to be there. I just, you know, I, I, I don't, and he's probably wondering in his mind and in his heart, and this is not in the Bible, but I'm just thinking, maybe he was wondering, maybe I, I checked out too soon. Maybe I should have just stuck around. I gotten beat up before. I've been, I've, I've been left dead before. I know God is not done with me yet. You know, I don't know why he left. He's probably thinking, but I had to. I had to leave. And it was all gotten part of God's providence that what he was able to do in that short amount of time was to leave enough behind so that they can take it and run with it. And so Paul was escorted out. He was chased out and, and then talked about because, see, that's the way that troublemaker is. He comes into town, stirs up trouble, then he leaves. He ain't an apostle. He, he's not even one of the guys from Jerusalem. And they would always badmouth him. This is why he said, I didn't come with words of flattery like everybody else does. I didn't come asking you to t support me. I took care of myself. I worked. I was a tent maker. I didn't come in here trying to boast myself. I don't boast about anything else but Jesus Christ. Beloved, this is a very important principle. If you're going to boast, if you're going to say anything, talk about Jesus Christ. If you're going to say anything. You know, what a great church. What a, oh, yeah, but you know what? Jesus Christ. What a beautiful building. Oh, yeah, but Jesus Christ. Uh, many times when people say, you know, Pastor, that was, a, that was a great sermon. I say, well, I praise God for that. I praise God that he was able to make that clear to you. Not, oh, well, you know, I've been to school, I've learned how to speak well, I, I you know, I watch videos. No, I, 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 no, praise God. Focus on Jesus Christ. And, and here's the thing. When you, talk to, to, when you talk to people about Jesus, okay, when you go start talking to people about Jesus, what's going to happen is they're going to sidestep the issue. But what about dinosaurs? Or like we talked about this last Thursday. What about, did Adam have a belly button? <laughs> you know? I mean, if he was created by God, did he have a belly button? My response was, yeah, he did. When God got through with him, he, he finished up and he says, hoo-hoo, he, uh, he's done. <laughs> that was my response. But, uh, you know, if he was complete man, maybe he did. But, you know, I don't want to get into the details. And people have come up with, with all sorts of, you know what, I want you to know something. I can find that answer. I don't know. However, Jesus Christ died for sinners like you and for me. But what about over here? Yeah, you know, I, th that's probably true. I don't know. But you see, when he rose from the dead, he took our sin away. And when you, when you are understanding that the bad news is that we're going to die because there is no one righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. You can always go back to the Word of God if you know it, and they're going to sidetrack you. They're going to try to, you know, throw up smoke screens and all kinds of things, and you always go back to God's Word. This is what Paul was doing. 
I thank God. He says, but since we were torn away from you, this was like this ripping of a child from a parent or a parent from a child. You've probably seen some movies where they're, they're, they're separating all the people and they're taking parents and they're taking children and, and just the, the, the horror and the pain and the anguish of what that separation is like. And this is what Paul felt like. He genuinely loved these people. We need to grow in love for one another. And he says, uh, for a short time, and he, and he explains it, not in person, but in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. And, and this wasn't just for Thessalonica. He did it to the city of Corinth. In 2 Corinthians 2, 4, he says, for I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart. And with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. This was his mantra. Paul was a sharp individual. He was smart. He was intelligent. He was theologically based in the Old Testament and sound in the Old Testament word. And he thought he knew what was going on until Jesus Christ interrupted his walk of life and brought him to the feet of the Savior. And when that happened, all of a sudden he says, you know, I've been missing the point. All this time I thought salvation came by working, by knowing. And so now Paul is, is, is in love with the people that he preaches to because they need to hear the gospel. This is one of the reasons why Jesus said, you've heard it said, love your enemies and hate your enemies. Uh, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. Well, I tell you, love your enemies. Because when you start to love your enemies, you'll start to see them as God sees them. You'll start to see them as God's objects of wrath and the wrath that they're going to go through. You will start to pity them. You will start to feel this affection for them, this desire for them not to end up in God's wrath. And you will begin to love them in such a way where you'll, you'll have pity for them. You'll desire for them to be saved. And it doesn't matter what they say to you or what they do. You still want to preach the gospel to them because they need to hear the gospel message. He said this in Philippians as well to the people in Philippi. Is it right for me to feel this way about you all? Because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul just wanted to spend time with people, but he also had a mission and he was constantly on the go preaching to people. And, and, and as he left, now remember... To communicate back in those days wasn't just like texting or making a phone call or dropping an email or even sending a letter that would take two, three, four days, depending on where it was going. Back then, if you wrote a letter, first of all, you had to find the papyrus to do so. Then you had to get the, the ink and the pen and, and all that other the things that you need to write this. Then you needed to find a place to write it. And then you needed to write it you know, in handwriting. And then roll it up and give it to somebody and then take it days for them to get there. And once they got it, they read it. Then much more, many more days later, this is a process of weeks, maybe a month of being able to communicate with another person before you heard of what was going on. And Paul did this at least 13 times because we have 13 of his letters. And it is believed that he's probably, he probably wrote twice as many. We know the Corinthians. Uh, 
people in Corinth had an extra letter. We know that some of these letters uh, circulated. And so that's, I don't want to get sidetracked on that, but, but Paul was constantly in communication and in contact with the people through writing. And he says, I, Paul, again and again wanted to be there. Number two, not only do I need to grow in love for one another, we need to grow in love, but we also need to grow in knowledge of God's word. We need to grow in knowledge of God's word. God's word will tell you just about everything you need to know. There are things that we don't know, then we don't need to know. We know the things that God wants us to know. He's revealed himself. He's revealed Jesus Christ. He's revealed uh, the world. He's revealed our, our actions, our heart. He's revealed much. He's revealed a lot about the angels, about the demons, about Satan himself. And so we need to know God's word on what does it say. Otherwise, what do we have? Well, we have the world. We either know God's word or we hear, hear it from the world. The word or the world. Take your pick. You can hear many philosophical, many great arguments, many things that the world has to offer. But here, Paul is telling us that we need to get the... Here, Paul is is sharing with us that Satan himself hindered us. One of the things that we see when we see Satan in Scripture... the very first thing that many people get up is these horns, uh, maybe this red, this red man with the pitchfork and a tail, uh, probably a little small guy that sits on your shoulder that kind of tells you to do bad things. Uh, some see demons, some see this horrific picture, and we get all of that from places like Hollywood. Most of the time it was written and it was described as, you know, this, this, this beast with these horns and these, uh, you know, the, the tail that, that wipes down one third of the angels. So there's a description of what Satan is kind of like. And in uh, Revelation chapter 12 tells us who he is. He's a deceiver. He's the devil. He's the demon. He's the dragon. Uh, you know, we'll get into that here in just a little bit. So, so we have this picture of what Satan is, a very evil, ugly force. For many people, people believe that Satan and God are equal. It's like this, the, the good God himself and Satan. And so God and Satan are kind of fighting with each other. And they're trying to win and seeing who's going to happen. Many people th- believe that Satan is everywhere. That Satan can possess you. That Satan can possess a Christian. That Satan can do whatever he wants. He knows your heart. He knows what you're thinking. Many people believe because of Hollywood and all these other pictures that we've had, many people put so much stock and so much uh, credit on Satan, which really, basically, he's a created being. There are some uh, religions that will tell you that Satan and Jesus Christ are brothers. And so there's a spiritual war going on between these two. Sometimes Satan wins. Sometimes Jesus wins. All of that can be, it cannot be, I mean, it's, it's just false. It's not the way it happens. Satan is a created being. Satan is not omniscient. In other words, he can't be everywhere at the same time. He's not, he's not omni, I mean, know everything that you know. Omniscience or knowing what you're thinking. He cannot be omnipresent. He cannot be everywhere at the same time. He's not omnipotent. He can't do anything unless God allows him to do so. Satan's just a deceiver. All he can do is lie to you. All he can do is deceive you. All he can do is try to trick you into many things that he wants you to do. 
Satan is here to oppose the kingdom of God in all kinds of ways. Scripture tells us that he is opposing the gospel message, that he tried to oppose Jesus Christ in the, in the, in, in the wilderness through the, through the temptation of Christ. Uh, he, he performs counterfeit miracles. He seeks to deceive believers. He perpetuates lies and murders. He attacks individual churches. He especially attacks spiritual leaders all within Scripture. The New Testament reports that, that he was present at the church of Jerusalem. When Jerusalem started to grow and started to, to develop, then this, this persecution took place because he was deceiving and telling lies to those that were wanting to go up against God. Satan wants to thwart the progress of the kingdom. When Paul says here, but Satan hindered us, the word hindered is a military term referring to digging a trench or breaking up the road or, or causing some sort of diversion within the road, either laying down tar and starting it on fire, but trying to deter or hinder or try to put up obstacles so that the military that is coming against them cannot get there. This is what Satan does. This has been graduation month. I've been to two, or one graduation, and then a, a, an awards presentation. I'm not going to mention who, but her initials are Chloe Santos. Um, and it was just a very pleasure and, and beautiful ceremony, and I appreciate being there and being invited to watch her receive this wonderful award. And, and one of the things that we heard, and I've been hearing, and I've heard in the past as well, and then I heard at my granddaughter's graduation, one, one theme that keeps coming up is obstacles, hindrances, uh, things that happen in life. I grew up poor. I grew up uh, without, without any one lady that was preaching or teaching or sharing, I guess you would say, at my granddaughter's graduation. She grew up in a house full of a bunch of kids, and, and uh, she, they had a dirt floor, and they had nothing. And she, but she determined, they all determined, to overcome all these obstacles, obstacles, hindrances, things that got in the way. One, one young man got up and said, you know, I've lost everything. I lost my grandmother, lost my father, lost my mom. And then somebody threw a Molotov cocktail and burned the house down and I lost my house. And, and you know, but he was graduating. I overcame these obstacles. And, and, and those are very real obstacles. Please, I'm not trying to belittle the things that many people went through. However, many of these obstacles, I've heard these obstacles before. Maybe you have, and maybe you've come come across or overcome many obstacles in your life. And, and, and as we were talking about this on the way back home, I shared that with my wife, and she says, you know, those obstacles or hindrances that get in people's way, really, is, it's just life. It's unfor people, people die. You know, they do. Your parents, you know, people get sick. Things happen in life that you just have to overcome. Otherwise, what's, gonna, what's the alternative? Stay where you're at. And, and so, again, not belittling what they're doing, but it, these obstacles are part of life. They happen. When they happen within the church, when Satan is trying to throw these obstacles, they happen. The, and, and this term that Paul uses, it's a military term, and I want to get into it and, and kind of share with you because every time... Paul talks about demonic or spiritual warfare. He calls it warfare or battling or, uh, you, you know, being against an enemy. When you go to war, there is always an enemy. Let me say that again. When you go to war, there is always an enemy. And unfortunately, the one with the biggest army and the one that kills the most and breaks the most stuff 
wins. And so you, beloved, are in a spiritual warfare. You're in a battle. You're in a battle for the minds of people. And, and many times we get this idea that there's these demons that pop up and, and show their face that we're fighting against those things. That's not what the Bible teaches as far as demonic activity. And I wish I had more time to get into that, and I'm going to, but uh, here probably next week. Because I want you to hear, I want you to see a few things before we do that. Paul says, grow, well, I'm saying grow in knowledge of God's word. Satan hindered him. But see, Paul had a good foundation on God's word. Matter of fact, Peter, he says in 1 Peter 5.8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, adversary, another, another military term. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, how do you, how do you combat that? How do you deal with that? Peter doesn't say, you know, go out there and start fighting them. Peter doesn't say to, to put on your spiritual armor so you can attack he doesn't say, no one, nowhere in scripture does it say that we are to go forward with a sword or a bow and arrow against the enemy. But he says, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Resist him in your faith. See, when you know God's word and you know what God's word says, you can stand firm and say, you know what, Satan, you don't have nothing. You're just a created being. I remember reading a book, Stomping the Darkness, I believe it was called. I can't remember the author at this time, but the, the, the man starts off by saying, you know, we went to go visit uh, a friend, my, one of my dad's friends. And uh, it was me, my big brother, and my dad. And my dad and my big brother, they went into the gate. They opened up the gate and this little chihuahua just bolted out the door and it passed right by my dad and it passed right by my big brother and it seemed to attack me. And I took off running. I'm jumping on the fence. I mean, I'm jumping on the car and I'm crying. I'm crying. And this little dog is just yapping and yapping. And I thought he was going to eat me. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, you know, but this kid was scared. And then he says, you know, and I thought back about that. You know, why did that happen? How come it didn't attack my dad? Why didn't it attack my brother? Why did it attack me? And you know why, right? Because he's the only one that showed fear. You see, a little dog won't attack you. I mean, if it does, you know, you just yeah, get out of here, you know. See, that's exactly how Satan is. Satan is his little yapping chihuahua instilling fear on those that do not know the word of God. When you do not know the word of God, beloved, you know this. He's defeated. At the end, he loses. There's nothing that he has that he can give you. And there's nothing that he can do to take anything from you. You need to know the word of God. And, and, and when you understand the word of God, you, you start to realize, as, as Peter just said, you got to be sober-minded. You got to understand, you can't just be, you know, whoa, your head in the cloud and, and thinking all these different things that Hollywood tells you, these books tell you, these movies tell you that the rate. No, people come up with all these philosophies about Satan and demonology and how you're supposed to fight them, and how you're supposed to bind them. Nowhere in the Bible does it say to bind Satan. You cannot bind Satan. You know how long he's been around? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He got me. Oh, yeah. Sure. Right. You know, he plays like a, a like a dad that is wrapped up in yarn by his children. All right. We tied him up. OK, I got to go eat now. <laughs> You're not instructed to to uh, exercise. You're instructed to stand firm. 
not with your head in the cloud, not with all this other philosophy and ideas and things of that nature. As a matter of fact, uh, James tells us the same thing. He says, submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. How do you get him to flee? Resist. I don't know what you're doing here, Satan. <laughs> I don't know what you're trying to do, you and your demons. But you got no power over me. Yeah, I'm secure. I've got a guarantee. I've been given the, the seal. I've got an inheritance coming to me. What are you trying to take? You can't take nothing from me. Oh, but he can throw obstacles in your way. And he can instill fear if you let him. He can. See, because there, there are temptations that God, excuse me, there are temptations that come to you. And sometimes God allows them. Sometimes Satan just throws them at you. And, and, and there's all these temptations. And we wonder, where do they come from? How come I'm always falling into temptations? Well, because number one, you're not sober minded. Number two, you're not resisting. And number three, you know what? You're just, you're just letting Satan take control. You're letting this little yapping chihuahua dog just do what he wants. And, and Paul told the people in Corinth, see, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. In other words, we all go through temptations, all of us. See, temptation is the bait, and the bait hides the hook. And the bait, many people take it because, well, it looks good. Oh, it's pleasing to the eye. Oh, it's, it, it'll, it'll satisfy my flesh. Oh, you know what? I can become very popular. It's, it's pleasing to the eye. And no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. In other words, you cannot be overtaken by temptation, especially the, the temptations everybody goes through. God is faithful. Say that with me. God is faithful. One more time loud. God is faithful. That's all you got to say. You know, why, why am I even looking at this temptation? Because God is faithful. God is faithful. Why, why, even think, why even think about taking that temptation? Why, why even look at it? I mean, you know, the, psh, get away from me, you yapping chihuahua. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. The temptations that come up, you know, it's not something that you cannot take over. It isn't. It's a promise. God said so. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Oh, yeah, these temptations, whatever tempts you probably won't tempt me. And the things that tempt me probably won't tempt you. But that's how Satan comes in and starts to tempt you and starts to dwell in your heart and in your mind when you have your mind filled with the world. But when you have your mind filled with the word, then you can withstand and the world is giving us every type of thought and thinking and philosophy and idea and everything else that is within us to help us to stay away from God's word. To stay away from everything. See, the world's already taken the word of God out of schools. We, there was a time that the Bible was read in school. There was a time that the Ten Commandments were quoted every morning. There was a time that you can walk into the courthouse and you can see the Ten Commandments. There was a time that, you know, not, you know well, I, I guess they still have a Bible that you can put your hand on and it was revered as gospel truth. You know what? I, I'm going to put my hand on this and I'm going to not lie because I know that God is sovereign and He knows my heart. He knows my mind. There was a time that God was so... Today, it's everything goes, anything goes. However you want it to go. Let me very quickly 
go over these things while you answer that. Mm. Number three, in the back of your outline. How to overcome hindrances? I need to grow, not only grow in the knowledge of God's word, but I need to grow to understand the enemy's schemes. And very quickly, let me just go over this part here. For all that is in the world, 1 John 2.16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. I need you to see this. For all that is in the world, Every sin, everything that the world throws at you, everything that you can come up with, that Satan come up with, is categorized under three categories. Making it simple for you, okay? You don't have to know every sin that's out there. You don't have to know every evil, devious thing that is out there. All you need to know is these three things. Number one, the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. All you need to know is the lust of the eyes, and all you need to know is the pride of life. Let me share that with you very quickly and how that comes about in God's Word. You see, remember when Adam and Eve were in the garden, God, uh, God told Adam, I don't want you to eat of that tree of the fruit of knowledge. Okay, Don't eat that. There's, there's two trees, the tree of everlasting life and the tree of the, the knowledge of good and evil. Please, do not, just don't eat that one. And people say, well, why did he even put it there? Because he knew we were sinners and we would sin. He knew that that was going to take place. And so he said to them, the moment that you eat of this tree, you will die. So in comes the snake, crafty. And he says, did God really say that you cannot eat or touch of this fruit? First and foremost, what God does, excuse me, what Satan does is he causes you to doubt. He distorts God's word. He distorts it in such a way. Did God really say that? Did God really say that you cannot touch it? Well, I mean, you know, I guess by inference, if you're not going to eat it, you, you shouldn't touch it either. You know, uh, the second thing that happens is Satan wants to get you in a discussion. Not only does he want to create doubt and distort God's word, but he wants to create this discussion between you and him. And the woman replied, oh, no, 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 no. I mean, we can touch it. We just can't eat of it. You know, and then she adds more to that. Bottom line is that we don't want to get into this discussion because what she saw that it was good. Oh, this is good. Good lust of the flesh. It'll feel my flesh. You know, I'm already full. I have everything I want. But just just one more, just a bite of that dessert. Just one more bite. Just that a bite of this, just of that forbidden fruit. And this is the sin, the lust of the flesh that many men and some women as well fall into in their marriages or either in adultery or fornication. They want to satisfy the flesh. When God says don't. The lust of the flesh. She saw that it was good for food, pleasing to the eye. You know, there's some things that we fall into because it looks good. Not only does it feel good, but it looks good. And it's the lust of the eyes, the things of this world that glimmer, that shine, that, that pop. And I want that. I need to have that. Not only does it satisfy my flesh, but this will satisfy my, my, my just grabbing things. And then also the pride of life. And the pride of life. And it was, it was desirable, because she knew this, for gaining wisdom. There it is. 
lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. It was good for food, pleasing to the eye, desirable for wisdom. You know, it's the same, it is the same temptation that he gave Jesus in the wilderness. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, you really, you really think you're the son of God? He starts to doubt, throw doubt. If, if you really are, then, then prove it. I know you're hungry. Turn these stones into bread. Lust of the flesh. What did Jesus say? He didn't, he didn't try to, well, I don't think I should do that. Or, you know, they do look like bread, don't they? You know, but I just know that the rock, and I guess I could, you know, just a little bite, just enough just to hand, you know, get me over to, no. He went straight to the word of God. Man does not live by bread alone. He went to the book of Deuteronomy. And he started to share God's, he gave God's word. That is the antidote to temptation. That's how you resist and you stand firm. And then he says, well, you know, I'll tell you what. You see all, you see all these kingdoms, everything that's before me. I'll give it to you. He was the prince of the air. And he did have controls. God had given him control. And he says, you know, I know that's why you came. In essence, he was saying the reason you came to earth was to die for these people. And you're only going to die for some people. You're only going to die for those that are elect. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to throw in everybody. You can save everyone. I'll give it all to you. Lust of the eye. Wow, that looked pretty good. Once again, it's not yours. It's not yours. This is, this is what God, uh, he says, you know, you cannot tempt the Lord your God. And then pride of life, desirable for wisdom. He takes them to the highest pinnacle and says, okay, really, I know that you're the son of God. Okay, you've already proved that. But if you, I know that you can prove it to everybody else. Take you up to the top of the temple. If you throw yourself down, he's going to command these 10,000 angels to save you. And everybody will see how great and powerful you are. You will have this presence. And you will have this ability to lead the people that you came to save. And they will trust you. And they will believe you because of what just happened. And he says, oh, you, you don't even have a clue as to what I need to do. Those same three temptations, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, are the things that every one of us fall under, the sins and the temptations that we fall under. And when you understand how he works, you can, you can always retort back with the word of God. Look at that fruit. Isn't she lovely? You know, I... I love my wife. I love God. And I'm the head of this household. And I need to, I need to love her with all my, everything that I have. Just look at all this power that you can receive. I need to be the head of my household. I can't go out and try to find something else to do in this world. I need to manage what I have. I need to be a good steward. I need, and the word, God's word continues to grow in your life. So to overcome, number four, Grow to overcome hindrances is to understand, number one, to grow in the love for one another, to grow in knowledge of God's word, and to grow in understanding of the enemy's schemes, what it is that he does. You see, because when you understand what Satan is trying to do, he wants to destroy you. This is a war. And some of you are saying, well, I don't want to get involved in this war. If you're a Christian, you're in it. You can either be a Christian, uh, a soldier, and be AWOL, or you can get into the battle. 
But you're in this battle. And this is the battle for the minds of people, which I'm going to get into next week. Because I think that a lot of people, they just don't want to look at and see what it is that they are involved in. You know, if I don't get involved, I don't pick sides. You know, I'll just tolerate, like I said last week, I'll just tolerate it. I'll just tolerate it, and you guys can do whatever you want. You know, if you want to do this, you know, in the privacy of your own bedroom, then go for it. You know, that's you. Just, that's you. Okay, I'll accept the fact that you're doing this in public now. Okay, I'll accept that. You know, tolerate it, accept it. You know, and, and now you, okay, well, you want me to celebrate it? Okay, well, it's, it's Pride Month, and okay, woo, you know, I'll, I'll put a rainbow up if you want. Oh, you want me to participate in it now? It started just by accepting, it started, then it went into, uh, I'm sorry, it started by tolerating, went into accepting, then into celebrating. Now, if you don't participate in it, you see how slowly that creeped in? And it's everywhere. And it's everywhere. You have the greatest weapon of mass instruction in your hands. It's the sword. It's the sword, the word of God. It's truth. How do you resist falsehood, lies, fake news, uh, fake food, fake drinks, fake happiness? With truth. You take the truth and you apply this to your life. And there it is. This is why it's important, beloved, to know God's word. And I'm going to do everything I can, as often as I can, as long as I can, to share that truth with you. Let me ask you to stand. Paul was hindered. And there are a lot of things that God allows Satan to do. He just doesn't work in a vacuum. Remember the story of Job? Job was a righteous man. Satan was in heaven talking to God and says, uh, God asked him, where you been? Oh, I've been back and forth through, through the world. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? Yeah, of course I have. The only reason he loves you and worships you is because you give him everything. You've blessed them beyond measure. And God says, okay, well, take everything from him, but do not touch his life. You see, everything that happens to us, whether it's demonic or spiritual or whatever the case may be, is father-filtered. It's father-filtered. And you can resist everything that God allows or doesn't allow. You can resist the enemy at any point. And we're going to talk about that next week and how Paul constantly is talking about fighting the good fight, is you know, going into battle, going into combat, is being a good soldier, is being, you know, being ready to serve. Put on your spiritual armor. Put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. Take out your shield and your sword. And how every single time he talks about spiritual warfare, he's talking about going in to battle. Father in heaven, help us to understand and realize that there is no power greater than you. Nothing in all creation, in all the universe, in the universes that we have now realized are out there. Lord, nothing, nothing compares to you. There is no power. Not Satan, not his demons, not his minions, not those that are within the world, not anything to come, anything that's been, or anything that is. All we know, Lord, is that your word is true. And it is sufficient for our life. 
And it's no wonder that Satan has been trying to get rid of it within the schools, within our own homes. And Father, we will hold on to your word as often as we can. So Lord, help us to understand how we can stand in this spiritual battle. Thank you, Father, for this portion of scripture that you give as we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen and Amen. All right. Stick around if you'd like. I think we have some fellowshipping to do. Fellowshipping. Thank you.